Believe it or not, we haven't even gotten to the SEC tournament, and Kentucky basketball is already hitting the transfer portal. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be discussing Kentucky basketball already hitting the transfer portal. They've already got their eyes on somebody uh, that could be an interesting uh, addition to next year's roster. Also, going to take a look at bracketology for what may be one of the final times that we do this, at least before Kentucky kind of makes their way through the SEC tournament. I don't see myself talking about this while we work our way through the games here uh, over the next couple of days, but certainly uh, the Wildcats, uh, I think there are some interesting things, some inconsistencies with where they have begun to land uh, before this SEC tournament starts. Thank you so much for making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. I want to remind everybody out there that we are free and available on all platforms. And if you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you're listening on podcast, would mean a ton if you left a five-star review over there as well. So let's go ahead and get into it. That's right. Kentucky basketball is already pursuing players in the transfer portal. And they've got their eyes on an Ivy League kid, Chris Ledlam. A six foot six senior out of Harvard Crimson averaged 18.8 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, 1.6 assists, also shot 47.3% from the field this season. The Crimson are already out. They finished the year, I believe, right at 500, lost uh, to Dartmouth in the, uh, in the Ivy League tournament. He will be transferring out, has already announced this. He actually dropped 18 points in that game against Dartmouth, dropped 35. Uh, just a couple of games prior uh, against, uh, I, uh, I believe that's Cornell, is the team that he he dropped 35 against. But Kentucky has already reached out to him. He's only been in the, the portal for a couple of days, and he, uh, the, the Wildcats, Cats, excuse me, along with several uh, other schools, uh, have kind of started to pursue him. He was a unanimous first-team All-Ivy selection, uh, just entered the portal again just a couple of days ago. So the Wildcats have already reached out to him per Jeff Goodman. But there are several other schools, like I mentioned, UCLA, Ohio State, Nebraska, Indiana, Maryland, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Xavier, SMU, Marist, Vanderbilt, Butler. ton of teams have already reached out to this kid. He was a bucket getter uh, for, uh, for the Crimson this past season. The thing with Kentucky and their roster next year I think a lot of people are just thinking about all these freshmen that are coming in, about how that's going to kind of help prepare this depth uh, at certain positions. But I think we do have to ask the question here, okay, if Kentucky is pursuing a guy like Ledlam, who is six foot six, 225 pounds, where does he fit in on next year's roster? So let's walk through that. At point guard, you've probably got Rob Dillingham and Adu Thierro. If you don't like Thierro at point guard as your backup, you can always put DJ Wagner in. He's a combo guard. You can put Reed Shepard at the one if you need to. Don't know how much Kentucky is going to do that, but we'll see. DJ Wagner at your shooting guard spot starting there. Reed Shepard could also be there as well, or he could end up being the backup there at, at the two. 
I don't know if C.J. Frederick is going to return. He's a redshirt senior, to be honest with you. I don't really think he will, but I don't know. He could either end up being as some type of backup two or some type of backup three. Because at the three spot, you've got Justin Edwards and Chris Livingston. That is, if Chris Livingston does decide to return. I'm not saying Edwards starts over Livingston. I'm just saying those are the two players that could end up being at that three spot. I don't know who would end up starting there. I don't even have a lean on it. You could potentially see Ledlam slide in at the three if Livingston graduates. He could end up being what Livingston was for the Wildcats this season, which was kind of a tweener between that three and four spot, right? Or he could end up playing at power forward because, to be completely honest with you, Kentucky may have a couple of bodies in the room at power forward. I'm not quite sure how confident they are in those players at that four spot. You've got Damian Collins and Lance Ware, two kids that at that point will have been in the system for several years now at Kentucky. I don't know if Kentucky wants to rock with Collins as the starter next season. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's a bad kid. He seems like an excellent kid and a freakishly athletic one at that. I just don't know if Kentucky wants that to be their starter Maybe bring in a scorer like Chris Ledlam who can kind of bring in that Ivy League scoring and be that guy at the power forward. He did, Chris technically did start at the four for the Harvard Crimson last season, but their lineup was pretty short. Uh, And I'm not saying rotationally, I'm just saying like what they had from a height perspective they were not a tall team. They had two kids at six foot six foot six starting in their lineup, and uh, I believe Ledlam ended up starting at the four for them more often than not. You look at what he did statistically. I think this kind of backs it up. He was only shooting twenty nine percent from three last year, only sixty three percent from the line. Uh, he was shooting forty seven point three percent from the field. Like I mentioned, took a lot more twos than he did threes. There were several games, actually, the majority of his games last year. He ended up taking at least 15 shots a game. He ended up averaging probably somewhere around 15 to 17 shots a game. A couple of games in there where he ended up taking 20-plus shots. And uh, I think the more this kid shot, actually, the, the, the more efficient he got, just based on some of his numbers here. I mean, he had some, game, some games where he shot less and shot a significantly worse percentage. So uh, I'm intrigued to say the very least, about Chris Ledlam and what he could do for the Wildcats in their roster next season. Also had 31 blocks, 50 steals this season. Uh, Pretty solid. Pretty solid all around uh, for a kid that's playing at an Ivy League school. So that's the interest there from Chris Ledlam. The Wildcats in pursuit already. We haven't even started the SEC tournament. Well, technically, the SEC tournament has started, but the Wildcats have not found their place uh, yet, waiting for the end of Vanderbilt and LSU. Going to be interesting to see what happens there to see who the Wildcats get. All right. I want to talk a little bit about bracketology. Lots of inconsistencies, some really solid draws. Want to get to all of that in just a second. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. That's America's number one sports book. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000, and that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. You can also bet on player props like points, rebounds, assists, steals, all that good stuff. 
So many more exclusive bets on top of that. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So, don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. You can make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, continuing along here on the Wednesday edition, or the Thursday edition, check me, uh, of Locked On Kentucky. Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. If you have not already, and I would be ashamed if you had not, checked out the Locked On College Basketball podcast with with Andy Patton and Isaac Shade, uh, would highly encourage you guys to go check that out. Just search it up on YouTube if you're watching there. If you're on podcast, you can search it up wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Patton and Shade do a phenomenal job. I mean a phenomenal job covering everything that's going on in college basketball. And hey, it's our time, baby. It's March. It's our time of the year. They bring me on every now and then to talk a little Kentucky, talk about what's going on in the college basketball world as well. Uh, absolutely love hanging out with them, chatting with them. So please go check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Again, it's wherever you get your podcast, and it's every single day. Bracketology update for the Kentucky Wildcats. Probably one of the final two that we're going to do here before we actually get the bracket next Sunday. Can you believe that it's already almost Selection Sunday? Very, 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 very excited about this time of year. And look, Kentucky and a couple of these bracketology predictions that have been updated, uh, they get some interesting draws. So let's go ahead and walk through some of these. I'm actually going to shout out our guy, Tristan Ferris. Uh, I would highly encourage you guys to go follow him on Twitter, at TristanUDA. He does an excellent job writing at Kentucky Insider and a sea of blue. Uh, this article that I'm going to roll through here is his over at Kentucky Insider. We have him on the show uh, just about every week. Please go check this out. I'll probably drop a link to this in the description. I hope I don't forget because he does excellent work over there at Kentucky Insider. So let's walk through some of the projections that he's noticed, uh, which are kind of the big three. Uh, whenever I write uh, for for SEC stuff, I, I normally talk about bracketology with these three uh, projections in mind, CBS Sports, ESPN, and NCAA.com. There are several other out there, uh, several, uh, several others out there that are probably either just as accurate or maybe more accurate. You can go to Bracket Wag uh, to kind of see all of the different brackets that you can take a look at. Um, if you're ever curious about what is going on outside of some of these major companies and what they're projecting. Again, bracket w.a.g is an excellent place to go. So CBS Sports, I want to start this one off here because it's at the top, currently has Kentucky projected as a seven seed. And as of right now, I'm going to go check it just to make sure that they have not updated it. Can confirm Kentucky is, as of this morning at 613, a seven seed in the first round of the SE or in the the uh, NCAA tournament playing in the South region. So we've talked on this podcast before about how important it is Kentucky stays away from the one seeds. The two seeds as well, I think, are definitely threatening. I just think that right now with the matchups that Kentucky has with some of these teams on that one line, considering Kentucky has already lost two, three of them. Uh, it could be a little ugly if Kentucky has to end up playing as like a five and playing a one seed uh, in the round of 32. Uh, excuse me, I'm see- in the Sweet 16, rather, I should say. 
it's much better for me, I think, if Kentucky ends up getting in that middle as a sixth seed because their draw could end up being really, really solid to get all the way to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. And not, I'm not saying, like, they're just going to breeze through everybody because it's Kentucky. I'm not talking from that perspective. I'm saying from a matchup perspective, I feel more comfortable with some of those things I'm going to get to in a second. As a seven seed, though, uh, Jerry Palm has Kentucky playing against number 10 West Virginia. Uh, in the round of 64, they would then be facing off against Gonzaga uh, in the second round. That would be in Sacramento. It's so weird how the South region has a part of the region playing in Sacramento, California. Uh, doesn't make sense to me, but all right, that's cool. Uh, other notables in this region, the, the number one seed, Alabama, probably want to stay as far away from them as possible. Gonzaga, obviously a really solid team that Kentucky has already lost to this year. Um, that would be a difficult matchup. This would be tough. And then your thir- your three seed would be Kansas State, who would probably get out of their little region of the bracket, uh, region of the region with San Diego State, USC, and Toledo. I mean, Kansas State could, I'm not saying they could walk out of it easily. I'm just saying that they could get out of it. A&M and Indiana are the other five and four seeds that are relevant in this one, I think. Uh, Oral Roberts, though, is the team that I do not want to see in the tournament. They are the 12th seed in this little projection here. They would be facing off against Texas A&M. The problem with Oral Roberts, and I meant to talk about this the other day. I meant to talk about teams that I don't want to see uh, in the NCAA tournament. I actually did a segment on this last year, uh, if you guys remember. Oral Roberts is just an incredibly solid team. They have depth. They've got experience. But most importantly, they've got one of the most talented guards in all of college basketball, and that's Max Asmus. Uh, I, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He is one of the most, uh, he's one of the offensively most, uh, how do I phrase this? He's very efficient offensively. He's also one of the best free, free throw shooters in the country. He shoots 91.9% uh, from the foul line. His effective field goal percentage is 55.1, and he gets buckets. He's averaging 22 points per game so far this season, and or Roberts also has the nation's longest win streak at 17 out of the Summit League. They just won the Summit League tournament, took down North Dakota State. The conference championship game, they beat their team 92-58. to Now, North Dakota State is terrible uh, at basketball. They're 214th nationally in Kimpom. But uh, they beat them and just blew them out of the water. So logic tells you that if they can beat that bad of a team that bad, they're probably on pace and, cal- and caliber-wise, very similar to a team like Texas A&M, like an inconsistent Indiana, like a San Diego State, maybe like a Kentucky if you get them at the right time. We all know what happened last year. Need I say more? This CBS Sports projection, I'm not saying, oh, I don't like it because it's wrong. I'm saying I don't like it because the matchups are intimidating, I think, for your average Kentucky fan. That's, that's my thought on that. If you disagree with that, you can leave that in the comments below. The ESPN one, I think, is a little bit more interesting. In the Midwest region, according to Joe Lenardi, the Wildcats will land as a six seed. They would be taking on either Penn State or Oklahoma State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. If I'm not mistaken, Penn State actually is, is like soaring right now. Like They've won uh, several games. Yeah, they've won five out of their last six games. Uh, they lost in the Big, Tw- uh, Big Ten tournament by one point 
Oh, no, excuse me, that game hasn't played yet. I'm an idiot. I'm just looking at a projection. I can't read. They are the worst team in the nation in offensive rebound percentage. Um, but outside of that, offensively, they're one of the most efficient teams in the nation. So they don't grab boards, probably probably because they're very short. Yep, they are very short. Um, but they uh, they offensively, they can get out and they can hurt you. Uh, not get out and run. Just, they're just very efficient in the half court. So I think, man, you look at Kentucky's draw there as a six seed. You play a three seed Marquette, who I've been consistent with this season. It's not anything to do with Marquette. I'm just saying, like, I think Kentucky can can get out of something like that with a team like Marquette. And then you're facing off against probably Arizona as your two seed there. I don't know. I like this bracket. If you get, if you end up getting to the Elite Eight and you face off against the one seed Kansas. That's a, that's a team you can beat. I know that Kentucky can beat that team. as a very, very, very solid Kansas team right now. But, man, I think the Wildcats, if they get a second shot with the way that they've been playing, have the momentum, have all the mental confidence, that's a team Kentucky can beat. Heck, Missouri could beat that Kansas team uh, coming out of the gate. And Missouri's the eighth seed, uh, technically, in, in this projection. Um, I, I'm very excited to talk on Sunday about what some of these matchups look like for real, for real. I, the final the final projection I want to get to here is the NCAA.com project, projection. Holy cow, is this bracket interesting? Is this region interesting for Kentucky? So according to Andy Katz and uh, NCAA.com, Kentucky would be playing in the west region of the bracket as the sixth seed. I'm about to sneeze. I'm going to try and fight it off. This bracket, and to quote Tristan Ferris in this article, sign me up for this bracket right now. This is by far the easiest draw that Kentucky has had in any projection that I've seen as the sixth seed. Everything that I've discussed about what Kentucky's season could potentially look like in the postseason with them staying away from the one, this is it right here. And weirdly enough, it's like one of the only teams that Kentucky has not played on that one seed line. Houston is in this in this region. Kentucky as a six seed would be facing off against Clemson or Boise State. I think Kentucky could beat either of those teams. I'm just going to pull up Clemson here real quick. I don't believe that that Clemson, yeah, they're not offensively or defensively great at either thing. Uh, Brad Brunell has been really solid, I think, on the defensive end throughout his time at Clemson. They are projected to lose to NC State in the ACC tournament today, actually, so we'll keep an eye on that. 22-9 and nine are the Clemson Tigers. That could be an interesting matchup. Boise could be an interesting matchup. I know they've, they've had to pick up a couple of wins here recently to kind of stay on that 11-seed line. I think that's the game Kentucky should be favored in. Wait, what, 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 let's not be weird. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a game Kentucky could be favored in. They then take on Kansas State likely, who would have to face off against Vermont. Kansas State, very solid Big 12 team. Could Kentucky beat them? Yeah, absolutely they could beat them. Uh, Kansas State, very solid defensively, but the problem with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the Wildcats, rather, is that they're short. They're very undersized. Now, sure, they push the pace, but I think it gives the question here. Kentucky's kind of thrived at getting to the rim with Jacob Toppin and Tony Reeves, Oscar Sheepway. If they don't take half a million mid-range jumpers in that game, I mean, that's a game Kentucky could win. And I'm not saying win it by half a million. I'm saying, like, win it by four or five. I'm, I'm just trying to be realistic here. If you get to the Sweet 16, 
Here are the teams that you could be playing. Iowa, West Virginia, UCLA, and Eastern Washington. And you may say, Lance, the most likely outcome there is UCLA. But the problem with the with the Bruins is that they're just they're good and they beat Kentucky earlier this year. I don't know if you saw it, but if I'm not mistaken, Jalen Clark, their lead guard, is out for the season with an Achilles injury. He was one of the best perimeter defenders in the in in the, in the country. Period. He was one of the best on ball defenders in, in the nation, and they lost him. They lost their lead piece. And I'm not saying, oh, well, then they're just going to fall apart here all the way down the stretch. No, the, the, the problem here is that, can, that UCLA does have quite a bit of experience. They've got Tiger Campbell, who's been there for 35 years. they got Jacquez, who's been there for half a million years. Um, they've got Amari Bailey, who's a really solid freshman for them. David Singleton is, a, is another senior for them. I mean, they've got a nice blend there. But Jalen Clark, man, I mean, he was one of the best defenders in the country was one of the best uh, when it when it came to just picking pockets, man. Uh, I believe he was top ten in steal percentage last time I checked when I was looking through Ken Palm stuff. He was kind of the motor for that team. Now you've got another point guard in Tiger Campbell that can really make things go right. Who's who's a who's a good scorer? You've also got Jacquez, who is currently the second best player in the country according to Ken Palm. So it's not like UCLA is just completely void of talent past Clark by no means. I'm just saying whenever you lose a guy like him, you have to adjust your rotation late. You start to find yourself in these one-elimination-style brackets, and you're facing off against an Iowa team or a West Virginia team that's been really weird in the way that they played recently. According to Ken Palm, West Virginia, who is 19-13, and 13, is the 16th best team in the country. The Mountaineers, according to Ken Palm, are still efficiency-wise and numbers-wise a top-20 team in college basketball. They've won three straight. They beat Iowa State, Kansas State, now Texas Tech in the Big 12 tournament. By the way, shout-out to what's going over uh, going out uh, over at Tech. It's just really strange to see what's going on over there. But anyway, this draw, man, you get past Clemson, Boise State, Kansas State, or Vermont, and I'm not saying that we just look past them. I'm just saying, relative to some of these other matchups Kentucky could have out the gate, this seems more doable. Now, I'm not saying Kentucky's going to do it. I'm, they could lose by 40 to Boise State or Clemson. Who knows? I, I, I don't know. But what I'm saying here is, if we're looking at this, trying to be realistic with, our, with the matchups, I like our chances against the, the 11 seed. I like our chances against Kansas State. I like our chances against whoever comes out of that bottom por- portion of the region. And then you look up to the top, Houston, Samford, Arkansas, NC State, St. Mary, Southern Miss, Xavier, and Yale. I'm sure we could take a deeper dive into what Xavier's done this season. St. Mary's has done this season. They got blown out, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the uh, WCC championship against Gonzaga. Southern Miss has been an interesting team this season. Arkansas is a team that beat Kentucky once, lost to them again. Can Kentucky beat them a second time in a row? That would be interesting if the Razorbacks were to get past the Cougars in the top half of that region. NC State is a team that I don't think we need to look past. Samford uh, would probably give Houston a little bit of a fight, and then that would be all said and done there. Uh, If the Cougars are facing off against the Wildcats in the Elite Eight, that could be a fun game. That Houston team is good, though. I mean, they are just about as solid as it gets. Top five 
and both both offensive and defensive efficiency. Of course, the problem with Houston is that their strength of schedule is not the strongest in the world. You look at their net ranking, they're first, but their SOS is 42nd nationally, and their non-conference was 78th. Sure, they played Alabama. Sure, they played a couple of other interesting teams, like Oregon, like St. Mary's. But overall, like Virginia as well, but overall, you look at the, the, the quality of play in the American athletic. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm just going to say it's not where you want to be if you're trying to make a title run. and the, or, or at least, ugh, let me rephrase that because that's wrong. The perception from the media, analysts, and fans is going to be for a team like Houston you play in a weaker conference. You don't play in a Power Six conference. Prove to us that you're capable of playing on the level of some of these other schools who have had to battle it out with all of these other talented programs in their respective Power Six leagues. By no means of my saying Houston is a bad team. They may easily be the best team in the country. I'm just saying they have not been as tested as some of these other teams. Does that mean they're bad? No. Does that mean they're fraudulent? No. I'm just saying, Houston, I'm intrigued to see how they perform in this one elimination tournament here when they get to face off consistently consistently against better competition. And I say better competition. They may say, well, we played good team. McNeese State, Tulsa, UCF, SMU, Temple, Wichita State, Cincinnati, Memphis, Tulane, East Carolina, I, I I hate to say it, those are solid programs. They're not as good as what you could find in the Big 12, in the ACC, question mark, in the SEC. You know, different these different Power 6 progr- uh, conferences that have more solid programs. I don't want to talk in a circle here. I'll just say I'm intrigued by the Houston Cougars who are elite statistically. How they face off against some other programs will be interesting. Look at what they are doing in the CBS CBS Sports Bracketology. Houston would face off against what would likely be Auburn, then Duke or Tennessee, then Missouri or UConn, then Creighton or Texas. There you go. If you make it to the Final Four after that, you are, ooh, you're a good team. You, I mean, you could be a good team beforehand because, you know, crazy things happen in March, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So that's my thoughts on Chris Ledlam. That's my thoughts on Kentucky basketball in the latest Bracketology projections. If you've got any thoughts on where the Wildcats may land in the postseason, what you think about where they could be matched up, who they could be matched up against. I saw some of you in the comments recently discussing, okay, what would be a good or a bad matchup? I agree. I meant to respond. I agree with one of you. I think Purdue would be not fun, to put it blankly, uh, to put it straightforward. Yeah, but there's some other teams that I think Kentucky would probably feel a little bit more comfortable taking on. So if you've got any thoughts on that, YouTube comments, hit them up, or you can hit me on the socials. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hey, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore. And you can follow the show on Instagram. That is over at Kentucky Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show before you head out. Going to be back here tomorrow for a preview episode of whoever Kentucky faces off in the SEC tournament. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And God bless.